Welcome to episode two of Waxing the Porpoise. Got your host, G-Baby, Jim, and uh, my co-host, Steve. How's it going, friend? Good to see you. Good to see you, too. All right. So we're back again. Uh, This time, we're changing it up a little bit. uh, And instead of talking about a movie Steve hasn't seen, which is a travesty, we're we're talking about um, Jason Simpson uh, in... And his significance, he played in the OJ murder trial, 95-ish. So this is one I've wanted to talk about for a while. Um, Ever since I learned about this like two years ago, and I was like, holy shit, that's kind of mind-blowing. Just hearing a couple of the reasons why uh, that trickled out, and I kind of put a pin in it, and this is a perfect opportunity to come back to it. So... um, We'll be diving into him as a suspect and what what makes him such a such a good suspect. I think, uh, I mean, at very minimum, he should have been uh, investigated, and and I don't I don't think he was ever listed like as a proper suspect. Um, but based on everything I found, it seems like he should have for sure. Um, yeah, it sounds like they. They deposed him for the civil suit after the criminal trial. And uh, a couple of the things I was reading sort of made it seem like they were, you know, they had a cursory interest in him, but they they certainly didn't, you know, run his DNA or his fingerprints or they didn't seem to take him too seriously until maybe the, the, tra- the horse was just too far out of the barn. You know, they had already picked their guy and they didn't want to. So this is one of the interesting things about police investigations where uh, they don't want to investigate too many people because then when they go to trial, the defense can be like, well, what about this guy? You spent an awful lot of time looking into him. Couldn't he be the one? So once they kind of zero in on who they think their suspect is, they, they kind of put blinders on to take that tactic away from the defense, which is pretty fucked up because it's like, oh, we're not going to do our job to make our job easier by not doing our job you know yeah yeah it's kind of a weird uh thing about about cases because then yeah you're just opening yourself up for uh in this case the prosecution or you you open yourself up for the defense to poke holes yeah well in in a perfect world the prosecution would be like we left no stone unturned yeah we looked at everybody we thought and we cleared them you know Instead of this weird, like, oh, no, we didn't really look into it because it's just, it's, it's so unlikely, you know, so. Yeah, on that front, it's like, if they were so easy to rule out, then that shouldn't eat up a bunch of your time and resource, you know, so why not do it? Why leave that, that door open? But, um, yeah. And if, 
if you want to talk about, uh, well, for those of you who haven't inferred from the beginning, uh, Jason Simpson is the son of OJ Simpson, who uh, was famously acquitted in 95 of the double murder of his ex-wife, Nicole Brown Simpson, and uh, restaurant waiter, Ron Goldman, friend of Nicole, maybe lover, who knows? Uh, and Jim and I were just talking before we started recording that, you know, because we had different memories of the trial because we were a little younger. I think I was, I don't know, in elementary school or something. So I didn't really pay that much attention to it. But I didn't realize the trial spanned 11 months from the time they uh, seated the jury to final verdict, which is just insane. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I know I think you're a couple years young, younger than me, um, but like from a personal side, what made this the OJ trial like resonate and like and hearing about this Jason Simpson stuff is so I was in 94, I was in fourth grade. So 94, 95, fourth and fifth grade. And at the time, my mom was uh, seeing this dude who was going to law school and he was like Joe defense attorney and he also had like he loved oj growing up as a kid so like this was on like you know court tv c-span whatever channel it was i was watching this every single day from and i was like i said fourth fifth grade the entire trial and he even he the the boyfriend he even based like some of his like thesis so it was on the trial so this was like pretty much like 24 seven. And so I was like totally pro OJ um, <laughs> the whole time. Like I, I remember, I, remember when, the, uh, I thought you were going to say you took the opposite approach and said, you're not my real dad. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be in my room painting homo things. <laughs> I don't want to play catch with you, Jerry. <laughs> uh, it was kind of like a relationship, like, uh, with the, the stepdad Dennis Leary in the Sandlot, yeah, kind of a love hate deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so this has like, and, and I was thinking about it too. Like now, like we're of a certain age where there's kids, you know, like they have no, they have no frame of reference. Like watching this on TV, the the white Bronco chase, and like you know, you know, if the glove don't fit, you have to acquit, and you know, all these things that I like to me, it was like a, a cultural touchstone as it were uh (laughs) it was was certainly a spectacle i can remember i can remember uh, my mom was really into it and then you know just hearing like family arguments about it and Mm -hmm. it was just kind of one of those things that everybody was enraptured with i guess you know it definitely took over uh the zeitgeist or whatever for a long time yeah and this was pre-internet too so this was like the fucking this was the hot ticket you know everyone was talking about it and wanting to know details about it and everything you know so i think that that made it such a prominent thing in the mid 90s there um yeah it 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 touched a lot of different uh you know topics that made it more interesting to people you know like you've got the celebrity you've got the salacious murder you know the lapd and their sort of checkered past and yeah you know they had a, they had big black eyes on them they're coming right off of the you know rodney king and and the watts riots and you know the 
the corruption, like the Rampart district, like just real bad. So they needed a win big time. Yeah. So uh, as, as I started taking a, a little bit of a deeper dive at Jason, the son, he kind of just has like all the hallmarks of, you know, if you were to sketch the profile of the type of person who would do this brutal of a murder from scratch, uh, yeah, he, he definitely fits the bill. Um, I guess we could just go all the way back. So, you know, he is the son of OJ's first marriage. Uh, and when he was seven years old, I believe, is when OJ started dating Nicole while still married to his mom. And then when he was nine, they finally got divorced, which is never fun for a kid. Mm-hmm. And then I think, what, two months later, his youngest sister drowned in their backyard swimming pool, which is like just an, an additional trauma at a really young age that damn, just sort of it can plant those seeds of, you know, who knows what. And, you know, OJ definitely has his history of uh, domestic violence, which, you know, Jason sort of adopts that later on as well. Mm-hmm. And, which is just the, the gift that keeps on giving when kids witness that in the home, they just yeah. go out and do it themselves. So, you know, you've got this pretty toxic environment that he's growing up in. Uh, apparently, you know, he waited until the ripe old age of 14 to start drinking and doing ecstasy and cocaine, which stuff like that in a developing mind can also plant some seeds of really bad mental illness. Yeah. Uh, he, got into it with one of his ex-girlfriends and like cut her hair off with a knife and like, mm-hmm. beat the shit out of another one. And I don't know if you saw some of his medical records show that he was admitted into the hospital three times with suicide attempts. Yeah. And around probably during that is when he got um, diagnosed with the intermittent, intermittent rage disorder, AKA the Jekyll and Hyde syndrome. Oh yeah. That little old thing. Yeah. Intermittent rage disorder. Uh, So. And wasn't to the, wasn't the the third one that he also was, he allegedly went after one of his bosses with a knife. Oh yeah. At the the time of the murder, he was on probation for assault with a deadly weapon. Uh, He attacked his boss with a knife. So uh, that's not good. No, but so leading up to the murders, let me know if you saw the same things I did. Cause I did see a couple conflicting timelines, but it sounds like, Oh, I guess I should say a lot of the research I found was done by a private investigator named William Deere, who wrote a book that I didn't read called OJ is innocent. And I can prove it. Same. Yeah. Okay. So uh, this guy apparently spent years looking into this and, you know, sounds like he uncovered quite a few things and, at least makes a decent case for uh, at least giving the kid a second look. So yeah, totally. sounds like six months before the murders, Jason went to the emergency room uh, because he was hearing voices and felt as if he was going to rage in quotes, which uh, that, that checks out if he's got intermittent rage disorder. Yeah. And then two or three months shortly before the murder, he started, he stopped taking his, uh, intermittent rage disorder medication, mm-hmm. which not good. Uh, so that 
that author, he ended up buying, I guess, an old storage unit that Jason had that was, you know, defunct. He stopped paying it, so they put it up for auction. And mm-hmm. uh, there's the storage some, wars on it. Yeah, so there's some there's some potential evidence that he finds that we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about later. But I think he found a diary as well, which if you read it, you don't have to be an expert in mental health to realize like this this person is clearly mentally ill and struggling and uh, apparently this was this diary was um, confirmed to be an actual like by a handwriting expert to be from Jason it wasn't just like something he picked a crop picked up Um, and he's dude he's talking about how he's three different people and it talks about how it, it literally says he'll go as far as killing anyone who hurts his loved ones, which, you know, somebody writes something in their, in their diary, they might just be venting, who knows. But you, if you just add that to sort of the totality of the circumstances, it's just one more little, one more little building block. Yeah, it's not a, not a good look. Yeah, so it's just another piece of the puzzle, which is this, uh, this man's psyche, so... I wonder if you had to, like, if it coincided with the, the rage disorder, if, um, cause it's top of mind for me, the, what is it? DID, the dis- disassociative identification disorder where you, that's uh, like the multiple personalities. I wonder if that played into it too, but. Yeah. I, I think he, I think he had a, a litany of mental issues. Like it sort of just had this weird, bipolar manic mm-hmm. sort of feel to it you know he's like writing in all caps crazy stuff and yeah so he was diagnosed with that intermittent rage but i i, I don't know enough about how those different ailments work to you know so well, that makes it. sense why they they prescribed him depakote then which is used specifically in the treatment of mania that coincides with bipolar disorder uh epilepsy and migraine headaches so um yeah. him him stop doing that and then stopping it all of a sudden i mean to me the, the timeline i saw was he, he stopped taking it two months ish before the murders occurred and to me yeah. that seems like if he was taking it with any kind of um consistency that stopping for two months by that point maybe most of the effects would be out of your system so any kind of added benefit of ha- taking that stuff was then completely gone and then there's a whole other set of uh trigger stuff too around the time of the murders that we'll get into i'm sure that uh again add back to this circumstance this mountain of circumstantial evidence that to me makes him a really good suspect yeah and, and i wouldn't i i don't know for certain but i i feel like i've heard that if somebody has some mental illness and they're taking medication for an extended period of time and then they go off it, they don't just sort of revert back to like the mean of mental illness. They, there's like a, a rubber band effect where they sl- they swing to the far opposite side and have like a serious episode and, or they can, you know? So yeah, you were talking about one of the, potential triggers that could have caused this uh on the night of the murder nicole and her family 
you know, some of her kids and apparently her parents mm -hmm. were supposed to go to his restaurant. Uh, but at the last second, change plans. I'm, I'm unclear whether or not they told him they changed plans or if they just sort of just ghosted him. Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've seen it kind of reported that 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 might be sort of something that triggered him because, you know, he felt like disrespected or abandoned or whatever, you know, you never know yeah. what. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that that didn't sit well with him based on his history and like his kind of mental outlook, like that, that probably burn him up pretty bad and tied into with like, I didn't realize that the, that the, the uh, sister had drowned in the pool, but now it's start the memory's starting to creep back, but I had completely forgotten that, but yeah, that's a huge point of trauma. And then too, like, I didn't realize that OJ had started seeing Nicole Brown, like pr probably having an affair before he actually broke it off with Jason's mom. Yeah. That, that was those two things are pretty huge. Yeah. <clears throat> and then too, uh, just to add the, the, the restaurant that they, they did go to. So they just, it seemed like they ghosted him. We don't know if they told him or not. And then it seems to me like he found out a little bit after the fact, but um, they went to a place called Metzaluna to have dinner instead, which is the place where Ronald Goldman worked as a waiter. Correct. Yeah. So, yeah, so if he uh, knew that, if he, and if he was aware of like Nicole fucking around on OJ and they have a reported, you know, documented love hate relationship. And he knew that they spurned his restaurant to go here, which was also uh, where the dude was working Ron Goldman, who was fucking around on his, on Nicole Brown. I mean, that sounds like a powder keg to me. Yeah. I, I don't think there's a lot of evidence showing that they were like an item. I think he maybe just found himself in the wrong place at the wrong time later that night. Okay. Uh, and I know, I think it was during his deposition for the civil trial. He mentioned he knew what restaurant they were going to. Cause it, I, it's apparently one that they went to a lot, mm -hmm. but he may have learned that after the fact, not sure. But so on the night of the murder, this is where it gets a little bit weird because I'm, I, I saw some, conflicting reports about the timeline and uh, some of it we can get into a little later because there's some there's an interesting piece that may or may not have anything to do with it but it sounds like he, he was at work and no one could really uh, vouch for his whereabouts after 9 50. One of the reports I saw said that they they believe the murder took place between 9 45 and 10.05. Uh, I that's that's contradicted somewhere else and we can talk about that too but it also says that his time card was handwritten even though the electronic time clock time clock at the restaurant was working fine which is very unusual mm -hmm. again in and of itself not really worth anything to uh, perk your ears up at but just when you add all of these things together it's like yeah that yeah the unusual. night of the murder it happens to be the first time he ever had to do a manual clock in where he wrote in his times You're and right. had, i think they they went back and there was no history of the time clock not working or anything like that so that's right that, that's highly suspect odd, odd coincidence yeah if, if that's all it is so and yeah since he was a chef he 
they bring their own knives, it sounds like. So he would have, you know, if you see like those old lock picking kits where you like roll it out and it's got all their tools yeah. in there. Yep. It sounds like, you know, when he came and came and went from work, he would have this, you know, his own full set of knives. And I assume the reason is because they're probably really expensive. So he wouldn't want to leave them behind at the restaurant and have some dip shit. Right. You know, throw them in the dishwasher and ruin them or steal them or who knows what. Yeah, I think they're really particular and precious about that stuff because he was like a he was a sous chef too is for what i saw so he's doing a lot of like the preparing the cutting right. and everything so yeah that's probably that's like you know his most valued tool in his tool bag his set of yeah. knives so yeah he's not just sprinkling creme fraiche on stuff <laughs> he's doing a lot of the shopping <laughs> i think sue is french for under i have no <laughs> idea but i i heard that somewhere yeah, because so, he's the number two, so he's like right underneath the head chef. I guess. I don't, How fun. I don't speak French. Very fun. <laughs> so uh, we talked about the storage unit that was purchased by the private investigator and in the diary that I believe was found there. Maybe he found it somewhere else, but uh, a few other things were found in there. I guess we'll just start with there's a, a photograph dated March 24th of 93, so a year before the murder. And it shows Jason wearing this uh, Navy style watch cap, which if you followed the trial, which I really didn't, what, that was one of the pieces of evidence they found. Yep. It's a, it's a, the crime scene. I've, I've seen people, it's a knit cap. It's like, is it just me or that's a fucking beanie? It's yeah. a beanie. It's yeah. a black beanie or a Navy colored, dark ass Navy beanie. Yeah. So as of now, we don't know where he is. He's off his medication. He's somewhere with knives, feeling possibly spurned by his dad's wife. I, I, I don't know if they were, I think they were getting divorced at this time because there's some pretty fucked up like 911 calls where you can oh, yeah. call like, he's going to kill me. Yeah. You know, uh, so they were, they were obviously going through some shit. So who knows where his mind was at because maybe. I don't know. I've seen speculation that he he considered her like a second mom, but I also saw some people who were like, I think he had a thing for her himself. So there's like a weird stew of yeah. possible mommy issues and weird like jealousy and yeah, it sounds like a a perfect stew of all of that. Like he probably had the hots for her a little bit because she she was an attractive fucking woman, you know, and yeah, yeah, like the the bitterness from breaking up. Uh, his dad and his mom and then i thought one of the through lines too was that he knew that she was fucking around on oj with ron goldman but it sounds like no from what you saw but even without that you know it's 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 definitely a uh it sounds like a tumultuous relationship with with his stepmom for sure yeah i think i think one of the interesting things about this case is there's so much information. Like we said, the trial went 11 months and if they're running eight hour days or even like seven hour days, that is just an absolute avalanche of information. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's really easy to pick out one thing, but if you're not watching the whole thing, you might not realize like, Oh no, that was actually corrected later or contradicted by someone else later. Yeah. Uh, just the sheer amount of stuff that went through that process. Like, is probably mind-boggling well like and it seems can't. like it seems like everything you you find 
that's a quote unquote fact is disputed somewhere else. So like mm-hmm. one, of the, one of the things that they say points to OJ's guilt is, well, they found a size 12 bloody footprint at the crime scene in the exact same type of shoes that he had in his house. But then, you know, 10 seconds later, you'd be reading, well, if you actually look at the crime scene photos, they measured the shoe print and it's 11 and a half inches. So it's not the same. Like, okay, well, we can't even get to settled facts mm-hmm. to argue about, you know, and there was a lot of things sort of like that. And, you know, I know I'm a big like true crime fan, obviously, but in like forensic stuff, but I, I think a lot of people don't really understand that apart from DNA, a lot of the kind of old school forensic stuff they did was bullshit. Like, <laughs> like hair analysis that I don't, I don't know. I'm not a scientist, but I know that they've, they've overturned a lot of old cases that were uh, prosecuted with just junk science. Right. So, mm-hmm. I mean, even if you look at, for example, uh, matching a bullet to a gun that doesn't apply in this case, but if you have like a Glock 40 caliber, even like one model, uh, if you shoot that gun and then you have a bullet from a crime scene and you match them, well, how do you know that bullet wouldn't also match 15,000 other Glocks, right? That have similar boring, like it's, it's not as airtight as a lot of people think. It, it's certainly not as certain as DNA is. DNA, you know, I've, I've seen numbers thrown about where they're like, uh, yeah, this person, this matches this person and the chance of it being anybody else is one in eight billion or something where it's like, okay, right. it's, it's to the, it's beyond, it's to the exclusion of all other people on earth. So, but yeah, so anyway little side little side note there but so apparently the police examined the ski cap found at the crime scene and they revealed it contained you know quote unquote african-american hair fibers but it they determined it didn't match oj simpson which you know uh if you're if you're trying to build the case for it was jason you're like oh that's interesting it doesn't match oj but at the same time they're there are a lot of allegations of evidence tampering and corrupt mm-hmm. investigation where, you know, if the LAPD wanted to, they, could they have just claimed that it was consistent with OJ's hair or because uh, I think the biggest controversy with the DNA or physical evidence in this case comes from blood, which we'll get to later, mm-hmm. but maybe they just didn't have the ability to sort of mess with the hair evidence. Maybe they, maybe they were able to just turn that over and the tech was like, no, this doesn't match. And so they couldn't do anything about it. But the blood, uh, from what I understand, they had vials of blood in their car, you know, for hours that they never turned into the crime scene and, or they never turned into uh, like the evidence locker. And it sounds like on several of the blood stains they found, they were able to find, oh, where is it? It's got, they found that not only was there blood in the sample, but there was a, uh, I believe it's a preservative that they put, like, so if they take your blood and put it in a vial, they put in like a preservative or a stabilizer so it doesn't just, you know, go bad or congeal or whatever. But when they found these blood samples, a few of them had that stabilizer in it. So it, 
it had to have come out of a sample tube. So the obvious inference there is that it was planted there. Right. Uh, but that was a key theme, even from back when I was a kid, like that, it seemed like really the linchpin of the trial or of the investigation too was, was blood evidence and the, the handling of it and the mishandling of it is like really what the, the defense seized on. Um, yeah, I mean, there's no, I can't think of any reasonable explanation why there would be blood that had been previously in a vial found at the crime scene. So even if you even if you had this guy dead to rights, uh, a jury can't convict a guy with that evidence out there. I mean, that's that's the definition of reasonable doubt. Like, <laughs> you know, if this is what the police are doing, what else are they doing? Right. And, if, you know, if they're willing to contaminate a crime scene. That in and of itself is enough to be like, uh, I mean, it, it, like I said, it's the definition of a reasonable doubt. You know, it's mm-hmm. not you don't have to prove your case to 100 percent. You don't you don't prove it to 51 percent. It's got to be like 95 percent, basically, for beyond a reasonable doubt. And so uh, if that's what they did, they deserve to lose the case. Um mm-hmm. So one thing I just wanted to go back to, too, uh, about the, the beanie and them finding the, the hair of a quote unquote unidentified African-American that didn't match OJ is, did you, I don't know if you saw this, too, but they also found dog hairs. Oh, yeah. Too. yeah. And then there's like an infamous like photo that's been passed around. I don't know if it is the same one that you were talking about. Um, yeah, it is. Where it's it's Jason Simpson wearing the beanie and he's his dog is sitting right next to him on the bed like so that it it implies you know he was close with the dog and you know he would have been around it but another thing too it's like it's the most generic looking fucking beanie in the world it's like that could be anyone's beanie but in the in the context of like evidence found was a beanie and they couldn't it, it didn't link to oj and there was dog hair on it it's like to me it's like that screams let's let's look at that why didn't they test dna against jason simpson but yeah uh, there's a lot of things that that definitely beg the question of why not go down this road a little a little more you know and i mean kind of jumping back into his background a little bit apparently the guy's trained in hand-to-hand combat and field knife training that you know that he learned at the army and navy academy it's like okay uh yeah add it to the file yeah uh that that same private investigator in the storage unit we talked about uh discovered at least one knife or i think multiple but there was one knife in particular oh excuse me one knife in particular that they they say matched or at least is consistent with the murder weapon and I guess one of the knives they found that the butt of the knife matched. I guess she had like a Nicole had a like a blunt force injury to the top of her head, like like she got bonked. Right. And they say that you know the butt of this knife kind of matches the imprint, and it's pretty crazy. I don't know what it was like back then, but I know just recently there was a trial. There was a case of this kid in. Wisconsin I think he killed his parents and chopped them up and dumped their bodies all over the place 
and it was a brutal case. They had uh, a forensic anthropologist come on who specializes in like knife wound analysis, you know, and the stuff that they're able to discern or decipher from uh, like bones and tissue, it's unreal. You know, they mm-hmm. can zoom in and see, oh, okay, well, this knife, it was a serrated knife. And there's 10 teeth per millimeter or, you know, we know know it's this wide, this long, this deep. And they can even see, uh, like they can see things that lend themselves to like psychological factors, like hesitation marks. Or if you you start sawing and it gets stuck and you have to move over to a new spot, that first area where you started sawing is like a gold mine for info because that's where you can see a lot of the characteristics of, of blade. So Damn. Uh, up until I saw that, I didn't realize like, Oh yeah, this, this is similar to the same knife. It's like, how would you know if, so, if you just stab somebody, yeah, you don't really know like how deep is it, whatever. Or but, like what yeah, their intention behind that was like yeah. that strike. Yeah. And uh, apparently the only knives they found at OJ's house were like a Swiss army life and a stiletto. And they sounds like they were pretty, pretty, easily able to rule those out as having caused the injuries. And I don't know how much you've looked into or read about the injuries sustained by both of them. Pretty fucking brutal. Pretty brutal. So, but what's interesting, I don't know the order, right. And I don't know if anybody really knows for sure of, was he murdering was, you know, the murderer was the murderer attacking her and he came upon the scene or was he attacked first because you know, if you're trying to attack a man and a woman, you would think that you would go for the guy first. Right. Right. Because he's going to be the bigger problem mm-hmm. in general. You know, don't get upset with me. Yeah. Um, but he was subject to uh, more stab wounds, but I, but they're, I feel like they're less brutal. So she was stabbed, I think seven times in like the face neck head and then she basically had her throat cut all the way almost decapitated almost decapitated they said that you know so the blade went through her jugular um both sides of her neck into her spine Mm -hmm. and it said that the knife went almost like three quarters of an inch into her vertebrae like that is so much force it's unreal yeah. Something that you'd expect from someone who's just blind with rage. Right. But Ron, it sounds like he was stabbed like 15 times all over. So that that kind of suggests to me that he put up more of a fight. And mm-hmm. this person is just like stabbing wherever they could before he finally succumbed to it. Whereas Nicole, it kind of just seems like she just was overpowered and just right. murdered. Yeah, she just got thrown quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that part to uh, talking about Ron Goldman and he had a ton of defensive wounds on him too. Yeah. And he was, I, I know this is, this is not new news for people that have followed this, but he was like a third degree black belt. I don't know in what discipline, if it was Taekwondo or jujitsu or whatever, but I mean, seems like you'd be able to handle yourself. And if you, if you've ever seen photos of the dude, he, he looked like no slouch. Like he looked like he could right he could handle himself, you know, and put up a fight. And I, I mean, the evidence seems to suggest that he did. And then one of the points 
two um, that we probably overlap on is they claim, you know, OJ, the all the, the only uh, mark, he had a, like a nick or a scuff on his knuckle on one of his hands, which does, I mean, we don't know what Jason looked like, but based on what Ron Goldman looked like and all his defensive wounds, it looked like he put up a strong fight. So I would have liked to see, you know, like, if they pulled J- Jason Simpson in and had him strip down and, you know, take photos and examine his body, like what he looked like, because it seemed like it doesn't match like what happened to Ron Goldman versus OJ having a little tiny scuff. I mean, even, even when he was, if he attacked Nicole Brown, you would, I mean, I can picture a woman like fighting for her life. You're still going to get in more than a scratch on someone's knuckle, you know, but, either way like i think the the biggest part for me in ron goldman's case like him getting taken out doesn't point to to oj to me it more points to you know jason obviously but with all the defensive wounds and everything and that's an interesting point too that you you brought up about the like how it seemed like he wanted to get ron goldman dealt with quickly maybe out of the way, maybe that's why there were more, maybe they were quicker. They weren't as deep. It's like, let's get rid of this threat. Here's the object of my rage. And that, and it amped it up, turned it up to 11 when, when whoever the attacker was went to her. Sure. Yeah. Or, you know, if it's not OJ or his son, some mysterious third person. And like you said, uh, he was, he was no slouch. He was definitely a big dude. And it's funny because OJ had the cut on his hand, somewhere on his hand, but there wasn't. So when you see stabbings like that, it's really common to see people like their hand slide off the handle because it's covered in like gr- like blood, which is super slippery and viscous. Right. Um, so he only had the one cut on his hand, but there was no cut in the glove corresponding to where the cut oh. on his hand was. So that would have been a pretty damning piece of evidence like, well, yeah, he only had this one little cut like on the webbing of his thumb or whatever. But what do you know? The glove has a cut in that exact same spot, which is not the case. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, like you said, the day I think it was the day after the murders. Uh, LAPD brought in OJ and he stripped down and they didn't see any marks or bruises. Yeah. And, and so- he was an old dude, too, at that time, like not super old, but he was older. And I mean, the case too for like him being able to put up a fight and go toe to toe with Ron Goldman, who's like he was in his late twenties, mid to late twenties, maybe early thirties at the most. He's he's looking like a young Ryan Gosling too. He's a he's a handsome boy. Yeah, he was a handsome devil for sure. Well, and they and, also found, I mean, even take the Ron Goldman thing out of it too. They found blood and skin under Nicole's fingers, fingernails, and I mean, even if that was the only resistance he met during the attack he's gonna have scratches you know yeah where's have, that and and what do you know they they tested the dna under fingernails and it didn't come back for oj uh they obviously didn't test it to see if it was his son and i'm not really sure how that works but if if you get half your dna from your dad and half from your mom if you were testing it looking for your dad's dna for example i wonder if they would notice like huh it doesn't match his dad but half of it's really close you know like I yeah don't, if that would be like a sign of like a, yeah i don't either I've, I've seen some people come back and say well with the dna they would have been able to be like oh it's jason but 
I don't know if he was in the system or if you have to like specifically get a sample, like a fresh sample from that person, or if there would be any, like you, like you say, like if there'd be any kind of like familial, like DNA markers. I think nowadays probably, but back then it was, I mean, we're talking 20, what is that? 28 years ago or yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, it was not as advanced as it is now. I mean, the stuff they can do nowadays is just unreal. So yeah. And that's the thing too, around that time, I feel like I might be talking a little bit out of school, but if it wasn't like the premiere, it was very close behind This was like one of the most um, like to me, I think it was one of the first, like at least highly publicized um, cases where DNA was like at the forefront. Like that was like the main uh uh, tool on the prosecution side and like in in you know court proceedings and and trials in general like it was really this is when it was like just coming out so like with anything else there's going to be bugs there's going to be it wasn't like dialed in they can't do all the crazy shit they can do nowadays like because what i know when i was younger i used to think about it like oh yeah dna evidence dna evidence but it, it's not it wasn't refined to the level it is now, you know, or even 10 years ago. So. Right. And well, and also the public understanding of DNA as well. Like if you, if you polled any random person on the street, they'd probably be able to give you a pretty good explanation of what it is and like how it works. Uh, I was reading, there was a quote from one of the jurors that they were asking about the DNA evidence and she, I can't remember the exact quote, but it definitely showed a lack of understanding. And she basically was equating it to like, well, yeah, lots of people have similar blood types, you know, not, uh-huh. not realizing that, well, DNA is totally different than just having the same or similar blood types. So, hey, I'm all positive, too. Yeah. And you've got to kind of, I mean, like it or not, a jury is made of people and some people are just fucking stupid or yeah. uninformed. So. It's, it's a scary place to be, even if you absolutely did nothing wrong and you're staring at a jury, you never right. know what they're getting. The, the chance of a wrongful conviction is never zero, that's for sure. Right, yeah. Uh, so there was a bunch of fingerprints they found at the scene. Oh, yeah. Wasn't was it like 15? And they couldn't tell if it was like, from what I heard, it was they couldn't tell if it was 15 individual fingerprints from 15 different people or 15 fingerprints from three different people or one. Yeah. What I saw saw simply said none of the 15 separate fingerprints. That makes me think that they found 15 individual samples good enough for identification. I, I don't know because if they found, let's say they found, 10 unique and then five that were the same thumbprint or whatever. I feel like they would probably call that 11. Maybe not. I, I could just be reading into that more, more so, but uh, yeah, the, I mean, the, the basic fact is that it sounds like they didn't match OJ's and the Jason's fingerprints were never compared. So just another example of uh, could be, maybe we don't know. You know what the weird thing is, though, too, now that I think about it, he was in the system because he had, like, you were saying he had, like, an assault charge or, like, going after his ex-girlfriend with a knife and, and a, either a current 
girlfriend and a boss. I wonder if he was taken in and he, he had fingerprints. So you would like think. They, they they should have been able to just like if he was a suspect to rule him out. To me, it seems pretty that like that would be one of the ways that you would easily rule someone out. Right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and then another another strange thing after the murder is the very next day before OJ was even arrested or even he himself represented by an attorney, he hired one for his son, which is very weird. I can't think of any reason why. I mean, yeah. if you're the ex-husband, you know you're going to be the first person that gets looked at. Why under any circumstances would you hire an attorney for your son Yeah. first? That doesn't make sense. Um, it seems like a panic move to me. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that leads you to believe that either the son did something or the son knew something mm-hmm. and he was just trying, I mean, cause a lawyer's main job is basically to just tell you to shut the fuck up when it comes to cops. Right. Like right. Do, not, do not speak to cops. Um, in 99% of the cases talking to the police, there's no upside in it for you. I mean, they're professional interrogators. Most of them are very good at their job. And you could you could be innocently trying to explain something. And if you if you slip up, you know, that's gonna that's gonna really hurt you. And yeah. Just pull that Uno reverse card on you later. Yeah. If if they have a case against you, they're gonna prosecute it. So there's no need to give them any extra ammo. And well and and then like people People, I think, don't realize after something crazy happens or and when people are experiencing trauma or uh, under severe stress, their memory is really shitty. So like, oh, let's yeah. say you were in a car, let's say you were in a car accident and the cop wants to come and ask you, like, what happened? There's a good chance that your memory is not going to be accurate because your your brain is like dealing with this stress. So now, you know, let's say you're accused of murdering your wife or whatever, and then they come and talk to you and you give them fake information now you're just giving them rope to hang you with later so right it is it is unusual that he got his son an attorney before he got himself one but who knows maybe i mean he was out of town like on a business trip maybe it's possible he knew well they're not going to be able to get to me till i get back into town so i should at least just get my way lawyered up now and then when i get back uh, before they try to bring me in for an interview then i can get somebody so who knows there might be a a logical you know sort of logistical reason for it but it's it's just another one of those things that looks strange stabbing somebody to death that's got to be so like i i can't even wrap my mind around how brutal that must be because it i mean despite what people see on tv and stuff you don't die right away it takes a while and yeah I, i just can't even imagine the brutality of that uh, I found the, I found the note here I made about the artificial preservative. So they found a pair of bloody socks in OJ's bedroom that had uh, blood on it, and then blood stains on the gate at Nicole's house. Um, in the so the blood stains at on the gate at Nicole's house was OJ's blood, and the pair of bloody socks I believe had either Nicole or Ron's blood, but mm-hmm. both of those samples they found contained 
uh, a preservative that's called EDTA that ah. that means it came from a previously collected sample. So that's that's absolutely damning in yeah. the investigation. And I think I think the the speculation is that they collected some blood from the scene, uh, and then they had vials of it in their car for an extended period of time. And I think they had OJ's blood in a in a, a lab already for some reason and they think they just went over and maybe sprinkled a little bit to just sort of sweeten their case mm-hmm. i don't know i know the See, LAPD. I, my theory to to like bring this all home is like my main theory is that that he they were working for or they were helping oj out by like self-sabotage because um Oh, that's an interesting thought. Because he was uh, he was really buddy-buddy with a lot of the LAPD, and they liked him a lot. They liked the spectacle of, like, you know, that, that was when he was at the top of the world. I think, like, right before that, he was in, like, he had been in all of the Naked Gun movies with Leslie Nielsen. He was in the third mm-hmm. one. He was fresh coming off of that. Um, and he was, like, a fixture in L.A., like, where he lived, I think, Brentwood which is like a hoity-toity suburb, but um, mm-hmm. he was friends with a lot of LAPD officers, like the department. He would like do like functions and golf tourneys and all kinds of stuff with them. And then that ties back to back into like, you know, the, the some of the horrific 911 calls. And when, you know, when they were at the peak of Nicole Brown and he, and he fighting and the domestic violence and stuff like that, like they would, they would just shine it on. They wouldn't treat it like, with the severity that you should treat something like that, especially some of those phone calls just sound fucking insane, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think it, this is all of me just pulling out of my ass, but I'm pretty sure it was at least two or three, maybe more calls for like domestic disturbance. And every time like he got off, nothing, nothing came up, came of it. And like, he would go down to the station, you know, to, for processing or whatever, to get statements and stuff. And like, you know, there was like anecdotes that he would, he was palling around. He was laughing. Like he was, he was with his boys, you know, like he was tight with that group. So I guess to bring this all home, like in a, in a, like an overarching like theory, my, my, my take on it is that I think Jason did it. And for all of the, the litany of stuff that we, we talked about previous, but that his dad, he either stumbled upon it or knew about it like immediately afterwards and was like, okay, whether he verbalized it or not, he was like, I'm going to get my son out of this. And he just, he pulled in every favor that he could. And then he did the whole, the spectacle, like he did a lot of shit that is super counterintuitive. I know like someone that high profile, it's kind of unprecedented to be in that situation and that, that place and time in the mid nineties, but you know, he made a big spectacle with the fucking, the, the Bronco chase and um, you know, without Callings and he did a lot of weird things right at the beginning uh, how he did that whole standoff, not wanting to come in. And I, I just think that he did everything in his power. Like, and he did that weird thing too. Like he flew to fucking Chicago to try to create an alibi for himself. I think he would, all the, seemingly dumb things that he did immediately following the murders 
think they're still dumb, but that was also his way of maybe trying to throw the scent off and direct it towards him. And then he just got lucky enough to also get off. And that's kind of it in a nutshell without like beating the shit out of a dead horse is, is my take on it. And I mean, that's, it's all highly circumstantial, but at very minimum, I think all the things that we talked about that stack up like against Jason Simpson and it makes him a really good suspect is why wasn't he pursued or just looked at a little bit closer? I mean, the guy that you mentioned, uh, William Deere, who made that, who wrote that book, was he a, a previous, is he a, just a private investigator guy or was he a lawyer? Uh, as far as I know, he was just a private investigator, but he might be like a former, you know, homicide detective or something. Well, I mean, that even that book, which I also didn't read, but um, I mean, he he brought light to all all this stuff. So why couldn't the LAPD have done that back at the time or done more yeah. to, to rule out um, or look at some. But see, that's the other thing, too. Like, you know, what if what if. OJ was like, okay, self-sabotage. And he pulled out all these favors with the, that he could with people that he knew on the inside to throw him off the trail of his son. That's, that's it in a, in a nutshell is what I think, but. Well, and yeah, I mean, I think you definitely lean a little bit more conspiratorial than I do on that, but <laughs> shock, shocker. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but, but what's interesting is like, it's still an open case, right? It's a murder case. The, the statute of limitations doesn't ever go away. So even though they think they, even though they think they know who did it, it's still an open case. Uh, there's no reason why they should have gotten rid of those DNA samples. So if somebody really wanted to, it wouldn't be that difficult for, uh, you know, the DA to go in and test those DNA samples to Jason. Maybe do you think that's re- do you think that's realistic though? Because that would just open up so many old wounds, and it would it it wouldn't make them look good by by because that'd be admitting fault, admitting that they didn't pers- pursue a suspect with the the kind of uh, credence that they should have at the yeah. beginning. But I could, I could see the argument for that. I could also see it as you know. If they could, if they could find a way to clear that case, that that might be good publicity for them, and they could sort of spin it to be a positive for them. You know, like, oh well, we we think that even though he OJ didn't do it, we think that he sabotaged the investigation from the beginning and made it basically impossible for us to get to the truth by, you know, obscuring all this stuff. And there's there is definitely a decent amount of evidence that points to OJ for being guilty that I can't really explain. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, that's one thing we definitely glossed over. I mean, or otherwise would this would be like a fucking five part, two hour long thing. Like, so to just to narrow it to Jason Simpson, I know we're glossing over some stuff and I'm sure anyone could pick apart this saying, well, what about this? And like looking at all the stuff that's, that's stacked up pretty hard against OJ, which I'm not discounting either. It just, to me, like, like the rage, it, it being classified as a rage killing. This guy has rage disorder. He quit taking his meds. He has fucking knife training, just da, 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 da. It's just like, 
this is still this is a good suspect. Why wasn't it? Why weren't the the depths plumbed a little bit more here? Yeah, and it, I mean, to say it's fun to think about, it's like the brutal nature of these crimes. It's just, it's intriguing. Like, cause when I first, cause I was so immersed in the case and it's just, you know, it's OJ versus the state, you know, it, to me, like hearing it 20 years later, finding out about like all these things about Jason Simpson, it was just like super intriguing to, to like learn about. So. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And you know, being older now and being able to pay more attention. And I just kind of wish I would have been older at that time, you know, because you, you see cases now that um, the way they're covered in the media are not at all what's actually going on. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's always that other factor of the narrative, you know, so, so much of my reading about this is like a retroactive, narrative where you know without watching the entire trial it's like okay what is actually happening not what are people telling you happened right yeah it was so weird being a being immersed in it at a young age and like it it, kind of made like celebrities out of oh yeah everyone involved with it like i remember i mean having the inside track of of having uh a stepfather figure, you know, teaching me the ins and outs of this and, and they're going into cross now and like, Oh, F Lee Bailey, you know, this guy's a, a genius. And like, you know, and then, um, you know, like judge Lance Ito had the dancing Ito's and he was on like fucking Jay Leno and, you know, Marsha Clark and Christopher Darden and, um, Johnny Cochran, Johnny Cochran. I see like, I, at that time I was like, yeah, dude. Like I was like, Johnny Cochran's a fucking badass, Like, like it made it made celebrities out of everyone in that case. So I think that case specifically, just all the players in it and its place and time, it, it was like it was a super unique uh, thing. Yeah, it it definitely captured the nation. That's for sure. Because I think when you think about court cases, they seem really boring and dry and stodgy, if that's the right word. But then. You know, it's like watching a TV show when you get uh, involved with the characters, you get emotionally invested and Mm -hmm. people were definitely emotionally invested. Oh, yeah. In this case, I remember because this was pre 9-11, like up up to 9-11. It's like, do you remember where you were when you heard uh, the OJ verdict? Seeing video footage of people here, like seeing it reported and people just like bursting down and like like oh god this is a travesty and then like others you know like celebrating like and that was me because like i was totally on that that defense side like i yeah. was pumped i was like yeah like oj fuck yeah you know like yeah i remember anyway. i was in school and i was actually in a lutheran school at the time which is a different story for a different day <laughs> but I, I remember seeing some of the other students i think i was like in second grade maybe seeing some of the other kids, some were happy and some were bummed. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I remember thinking at the time, you don't know anything, you know, <laughs> you're eight. There's no, yeah. There's no reason for you to be reacting one way or the other. I mean, you're clearly just sort of parroting whatever your parents think, but right. 
I don't know. It, I just remember thinking like, this is weird. You, you guys are very young kids. You should not be reacting this way, but yeah. Yeah. I remember talking about like on the schoolyard and shit and like, did you see when Furman went in on cross and people are looking at me like I'm a fucking freak show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. so like, it took me a long fucking time to come around to the fact and be like, Oh fuck. Yeah. I was on the wrong side of that. You know, maybe, maybe not. Well, I mean, before all this Jason Simpson stuff too. And like, even, even considering that, I mean, the strong likelihood is for sure. OJ did it. And then maybe now like my, the conspiratorial brain of me is like, I think fucking Jason Simpson had something to do with it at least. Yeah. If not yeah. just wholly, you know, doing it and, but yeah maybe maybe he was called there instead of calling his dad there yeah i'm yeah, th- i mean there's a couple there's a couple weird things with the timeline that i can't get over like they is one that about. where he he flew to chicago like right after and then flew right back no that one always that one always weirded me out i think that was always the plan like he was going there for something um i don't and he just tried to like like uh horse collar it into being an alibi um yeah i don't know well because his his original alibi was like so okay so going back to the timeline uh one of the reports i saw said that they believe the murder happened between like 9 45 and 10 05 and jason had no alibi after 9 50 but then when I was looking at the actual timeline, it's not until 10.15 that a neighbor of hers hears, you know, the cries and barking of a dog. So there's a little bit of a discrepancy there. But I found this other little interesting hiccup in the timeline that if, if the truth ever came out about would have a pretty big impact on the case. So back in 2000, the year 2000 so after the in the year after, 2000 <laughs> so he got he obviously was acquitted uh in criminal court but he still had to go to a civil trial where mm-hmm. so like we were talking about earlier in, in criminal it's beyond a reasonable doubt it's like 95 96 whatever percent in the civil trial it's like 51 percent is basically the the burden right like are you is it more likely than not that you were uh, guilty of this? And so mm-hmm. he was found guilty. He was found guilty in civil court in order to pay thirty plus million dollars to uh, the Browns and the Goldmans, which I don't think he's paid back anything. No, but uh, there was there was uh, some disagreement. So uh, when he was he was attempting to get his civil judgment thrown out. And one of the things he was trying to do is get Nicole's mom's phone records because there was some disagreement about what time. So Nicole talked to her mom that night and there's some disagreement about what time that call happened. So uh, looking at my timeline, they left the restaurant at eight o'clock and her parents were there and her parents had to drive home and they lived in Dana Point. 
which it looks like it's an hour and 15 hour and 30 minutes depending on traffic away mm-hmm. so in court it, it was reported that she talked to her mom at 9 45 or whatever and that would that would sort of match with drive time but apparently the mom like her first statement said that she talked to her at 11 which if that's the case oj was on a plane by then mm-hmm. and i saw there was a this weird footage of during the trial there was like an agreement between the prosecution and the, the defense that they weren't gonna bring in phone records for some reason it doesn't make any sense to me and they still haven't released those phone records. I mean, because hmm. if, if the call's at 11, it's, there's no doubt, you know, if she was still alive at 11, it would contradict with what the neighbor heard. It would also contradict with, uh, so Goldman left the restaurant to bring her her glasses. We probably should have covered that. That's why he was there. Um, he left the restaurant at like 9.50. So <laughs> that Give her her glasses where where I come from. That's called doing the hibbity dibbity. <laughs> and a banana cognac, bitch. <laughs> yeah, so who knows? Maybe that was the screaming the neighbor heard. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, if the phone call was at 11, it, it would be impossible for being to be in two places at once. Uh, they didn't find the body still after midnight. So, huh. yeah. Or if the phone call was at 945, you know, why was the mom so sure it was 11 at first? I've seen people say that there's no way they could get from the restaurant back home by 945. But when I looked at the map, it seemed very doable. Doable, yeah. Yeah, very doable. So, huh, that is a strange feature of the civil case. Like, why wouldn't you want the fucking phone records? Yeah, I mean, it would, it would seem to benefit everyone, right? Yeah. I mean, because he's already, I mean, the, the civil suit or the criminal case is already over. They're, they can't try him ever again. So right. if they, if they get the, well, I guess, I guess the family's like, fuck you. This could only go bad for us. You know, if yeah, they, maybe they just want to mean, fucking not, stitch it up. Yeah. They're not going to get that money anyway, but you'd think that they would want to know the truth also. Um and then you have the really smart idea of uh, co-authoring a book called Why, or what was it? If I well, did <laughs> So originally, God, I'm going to see if I can get this right. It was originally, I did it, I think. Or no, yeah, so it was originally called If I Did It. And he wrote it, God, I'm trying to remember. Yeah. So anyway, so he writes this book about if if he did do it, this is how he would have done it. Uh, the estate of Goldman and Brown immediately were like, thanks, you're not going to make any money off this because you owe us $30 million. So we'll just go ahead and uh, take that from you. Thank you very much. So any money they made from that book okay. uh, goes to the family. But then they changed it. They changed the way the book looks so it looks like it just says i did it confessions of a whatever right uh i have it i have it here somewhere but yeah it's it's wild and i actually highlighted an excerpt from it uh let's see so this is oh god this is an actual quote from the book it says if i had actually done it 
I would have brought my good glove that day. Oh my god! I would have thought it was a shame when they shrunk when I left them out on the patio, but I would have brought them just the same. They were my lucky gloves, and I would have needed them because I was going to stab my slut of a wife. Hypothetically. (laughs) (laughs) What a twisted mind. Yeah. I wonder if that was... I wonder how much of that was embellished later by the Browns having... Because it seems like they would have carte blanche to spice some things up if they wanted to, you know? I don't don't know if... I don't know if that's the way it worked. No, I think by the time it got to them, it had already been, like, authored and published. They were just, like... So uh, they, like, through through legal channels, they were able to, like, redirect the funds to them, like, like a wage garnishment kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. Okay, I got you. Yeah, that's a really dumb move, man. Why would you write that? Like Jesus, I think, I think he was that hard up for cash at the time. I mean, the same reason why, you know, if you, I guess it's been ten or fifteen or twenty years, who knows now at this point, when him and his goon friends rolled up into that Vegas hotel, and he spent nine years in prison for that. That's nuts. Was that when he he, he fucking like assaulted some people and tried to reclaim his Heisman Trophy or something? Or I, I just remember that they like. They busted into this dude's hotel room in Vegas who had some of his sports mem- memorabilia that okay. he claims they stole, but I don't I don't think they actually stole it. I think they probably just bought it at like a auction or something, but yeah, they got him on all kinds of kidnapping, crazy charges, and yeah, he served nine years. Boy, I wish I had something to knock your ass out with. I knock your ass out. I knock the shit out your Uh, all right well i think it's probably time to land this bitch um this porpoise porpoise has been waxed i feel like (laughs) yeah unfortunately there's not a good uh resolution to this but it's definitely interesting to think about so What's your what's your take? I know I did my whole uh, tinfoil hat tangent. Yeah. What's you what's your was, what's the long and short for you? You think it was aliens? I think uh, <laughs> I think OJ probably did it, but I don't think they proved their case beyond a reasonable doubt. So I think I think they the jury came to the only logical conclusion they could come to. But I mean, when you look at some of the evidence, there was that tainted blood that's the only real way to put it like those couple samples but i mean there's there's blood in his car there's blood you know uh other places and some of it was like his mixed with theirs the car chase is weird that Mm -hmm. that in and of itself isn't for me damning because people do weird stuff but that's just an odd thing to do i mean if you're if you're that high profile and high powered and mentally stable you just get an attorney and be like fuck deal with deal with this guy i mean it doesn't it doesn't make sense that you're not going to get away you know especially when you're driving super slowly but maybe the same type of person who doesn't think through things rationally decides to just murder his ex-wife and that poor dude who just i think i think he just happened to be there i don't think they had any 
sort of you know romantic relationship and yeah i don't know what i'm pulling that from is if it's just from being immersed in the trial in the mid 90s but like it's just always been in my head like like that that was yeah i've heard that, that too. was settled that was settled science you know like that, that oh yeah they were fucking for sure you know like but it sounds yeah. like from the stuff you saw or your at least your perspective is that they it wasn't that clear cut yeah yeah that's that's kind of the, the feeling i'm getting but Right yeah, on. and like, it, like his alibi changed. You know, he said one thing, and then it's it's. I don't know. It's not just one thing. It's like we talked about. It's kind of the totality. And I mean, he certainly had a motive. And I've seen I've seen a lot of people that were like, "Well, he's never stabbed her. He just beat the shit out of her." It's like, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that's kind of how escalation works, though. You know. Right, and I mean, he got like I said. It, it, what is factual is there were like multiple calls, multiple instances, and he got off, he got out of it every time. Yeah. Which just empowers him more to just be like, oh, yeah, I can do what I want. I'm OJ, you know, like, because yeah. he was, he wasn't, he wasn't one of the first, but um, just maybe his time and place, you know, like he was in the fucking, the, the naked gun movies and stuff. And like he, he was within that, that like celebrity kind of sphere in in la during that time you know so yeah he, he went to college down there too so he had been like an la staple for yeah years. like he was like hometown hero you know like yeah so hmm. yeah he went to usc um okay all right well that's that's gonna wrap it up for uh jason simpson i mean if anything else i thought it was fun just to kind of learn about it a little bit more and bounce it off one another. Um, yeah, so, feel free to feel free to email or whatever if you have any thoughts. Maybe if something comes up, we could do like a little follow up. Yeah, deal. definitely. What, everything I, we everything we got wrong. Yeah, <laughs> which I'm sure there was a lot of, but um, I misspoke the last episode. Uh, our our Twitter handle is actually. Waxing the Porp, P-O-R-P, too many characters, uh, Waxing the Porpoise at Instagram. And yeah, our email is wax at waxingtheporpoise.com. Let us know if we left anything out or if you have any other uh, intriguing tidbits that that might add. When you throw Um, this up, you could always put links to those down in the show notes. That's, yep. Those will be there for sure. And I'll throw... uh, a couple of the links uh, where I got my information. One, one, the main one was uh, a, a Reddit, a subreddit of uh, changed my mind um, that I got like that person had, had done a lot of research, but then I, I wish I would have had time to read that book by William Deere. Cause he sounded like he, he really got to the bottom of a lot of shit, including like that whole locker thing is seems like kind of a bombshell, but if they would have the cops would have had access to that at that time because i think too it was more so uh, like about one of those knives too it was like one of them like matched one of the attack patterns um of the wounds so i mean that seems pretty pretty huge to me too like could maybe that could be evidence pointing to jason or maybe 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 it was one thing we didn't consider is maybe jason was trying to help his dad out right yeah, that, who knows? That's that's one side of it too. Who called whom? Yeah. 
I just sent you over a bunch of links too, if you want to include any of those. Uh, some of them are just absolute garbage, but they might have like one or two little interesting things in there. I just sent over everything that I had found. So cool. Alrighty. Well, uh, that's going to wrap it up for that episode. So again, keeping with the, the theme of the show, we're going to randomize, uh, what our next topic will be. And then, uh, or what category movie unexplained or potpourri. And then we'll see what we're going to talk about in that wheel. All right. So we're back to bouncing back to movies, uh, this time. And do we want to decide right now or do we want to tease it? Like, should I give, should I give a hint about what it sure. is? Sure. Okay. Um, Fair enough. This, stupid. No, it's dope. That's one of my favorites of all time. Um, a, ghost, a ghost in the darkness. That is a banger, but that's not in the eighties. So th- <laughs> this is, this is a film from the eighties, early eighties. Um, that kind of bombed when it came out. And then since it has become a revered, like cult classic sci-fi cult classic by a very famous director uh, who is British. And you, uh, that that might be too much. That sounds awful. And you're but sure it's one I haven't seen? Pretty sure. Yeah. Okay. It, it was off the list that you you vetted that you for sure had not seen that we're starting with. So, uh, so that's the tease. Uh, we'll be back again next week talking about that film. Um, thanks for joining us guys and take it easy. Thanks guys. Fuck a <laughs>